Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. We are a podcast under Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, which is a blog under SB Nation. You can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com, and you can find us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. The other podcast under the GBB Podcast Network are the Starting 5 Podcast, 3ND, and GBB Live. I am your host, Nathan Chester, and I'm joined by my co-host, GBB's resident Luke Garza hater, Bryce Hayes. Bryce, what is going on, my man? I will happily take that nickname. Uh, I'm good, man. You know, the draft is Thursday. The hypotheticals can almost, almost come to an end today. I'm, I'm in an excellent mood. Yeah, I know you are, man. And it's only two days away, like you said, at the time of this recording. And I'm kind of ready for the smoke screens to go away. I'm kind of ready for all the endless chatter to stop and just see what the reality finally is. But part of this chatter and smoke screen is because of some recent movement that has been happening. And yesterday, the Memphis Grizzlies made a deal with the New Orleans Pelicans, where they traded Jonas Valanciunas, uh, the 51st pick in the 2021 NBA draft and the 17th pick in the 2021 NBA draft to the New Orleans Pelicans to receive Steven Adams, um, Eric Bledsoe, and they will move up from 51 to 40 and they will move up from 17 to 10. Bryce, kind of what was your like gut reaction when you see that? Because obviously Jonas Valanciunas has made himself a foundational part of the Grizzlies. He fits the culture. He fits the cities. And then with one single Woj notification on Twitter, he's out the door. So what was kind of your gut reaction to that? Well, I got out of the shower to chaos. Cause like I hear my phone just constantly buzzing while I was in the shower. Like what's going on? It's like two o'clock. Like there's nothing that anyone could possibly want that's that urgent. And then I get out and see that trade. I was like, oh, that's that's why my phone was buzzing. But like once I saw it, kind of took time to react and contextualize what's happening. I think once you get down to the nitty-gritty, the mission was accomplished on both sides. I mean, New Orleans gets off those contracts and the Grizzlies do what they were trying to do. They move up in both positions, both rounds, they move up. So they're in a better position to get guys that I'm pretty sure that they want. Now, obviously, I'll miss Jonas Valanciunas. I was a big fan of his and the way he got after it on the floor. But let's be honest, that productivity can be replaced. It just won't be out of one person. It'll have to be a team effort. And I think without Jonas Valanciunas hanging over their head, like, we knew Jonas Valanciunas was on the floor. There's always going to be somebody in the paint. You can always depend on him to get a rebound. Without that hanging over their head, now you have to have everybody on their toes, getting ready to get on the go- on the boards. And I think that's how his production will be replaced instead of having to have yeah. just one, one person get 15, 20 rebounds every night. Yeah, I, I think it's – at the risk of sounding like a shill, which I think GBB has started to earn a reputation for when it comes to the moves of the Grizzlies front office and Zach Kleiman, um, I like the deal too. 
Um, let me qualify all of what I'm about to say by saying this first. Um, not everything the Grizzlies front office has been perfect. Not everything they've done has been perfect over the last two years. Um, what I think you can argue is they've always done everything they can and everything they've done has been according to a very set vision for the franchise going forward, which is obviously a departure from the Chris Wallace era where if there was a vision, it seemed to be, especially over the last few years of that regime, just throwing anything at the wall you could to try to stay relevant for as long as you possibly could. With no right. thought of the future or how that could affect the long-term prospects, every single move almost seemed like a move of desperation of some kind. Um, you get here and everything is being made which if, with a future-oriented focus. And this move in and of itself um, they're obviously saying that they have never viewed Jonas Valanciunas as a part of the long-term core future of the Memphis Grizzlies. Many people may hate that, but that has always generally been, I think, the reality for them. Does this trade happen if he doesn't get hopelessly exposed in the Utah series the way that he does? I think the trade probably still happens. Um, I think it probably does. But the Utah series in and of itself was a good example that for the next great Grizzlies team, uh, Jonas Valanciunas won't be the starting center on that team. It's just very obvious that uh, the Grizzlies were 11 points worse per 100 possessions on defense when Jonas Valanciunas was on the court in the playoffs. And it was it was very obvious by the eye test as to why that was the case. They were locked into a single defensive scheme, drop coverage, which can be helpful throughout the regular season. And Valanciunas, to his credit, was pretty good at executing it. But he couldn't get out of the perimeter. He could not switch. He could not. He did not have the lateral mobility or agility to bother pull-up shooters from that scheme. And the Grizzlies could not execute any other defensive scheme with him on the court. And those are the type of adjustments that you've got to be able to make in a playoff series if you want to be able to win it against great teams. And they were never going to be able to do that with Jonas Valanciunas. So we can acknowledge that he was arguably their most important person last year, most important player. They leaned on him heavily. They wouldn't have gotten to the playoffs without him. But it also became pretty clear that they're, they were never going to win significantly in the playoffs with him as their starting center. And that's a tough reality for Grizz fans to acknowledge. But sometimes you got to be willing to sacrifice short-term game in order to put yourself and maximize your chances at long-term sustainability and long-term success, which is what they did. And they haven't always been successful at that. The Justice Winslow trade was an example of that where, you, you know, granted, you got everything you wanted out of the Iguodala trade back at the time. Anything you got for Iguodala himself after he refused to report to camp, that was a, a bonus in and of itself. But, you know, they took a, a swing on Justice Winslow and they moved off of Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, who were not incredible pieces in Memphis while they were here. And they take a swing on Justice Winslow and it doesn't work out. You know, if you want to use that as a strike against the Grizzlies front office, you can. But at the end of the day, they have always been executing moves to try to fit the long-term vision and core of the team. And that's what they did with this trade. Right. Like, to build off what you said, like, the Grizzlies, part of their vision has been defensive flexibility. And as important as Valanciunas was, he just doesn't provide that. Like, the drop coverage things, he, he becomes kind of a one-trick pony. And then there's certain players like Rudy Gobert, like if you get them down in the paint, Poor Valanciunas is just – it's either a foul machine or he gets bullied. And for him to be as big as he is, like, it never made sense to me. But, you know, some guys just have your number, and Gobert is one of them. 
But as far as the trade goes, they just kind of wrap it up. There was some mild overreaction to it because, you know, Eric Bledsoe's name popped up and all of a sudden everybody's a poet. They have a soliloquy to get off about, oh, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. And I literally got on the timeline. I was like, hey, he won't even get to eat Memphis barbecue before he's gone. And literally not even 10 minutes later, Chris Haynes is like, yeah, Eric Bledsoe's not going to be here long. Like sometimes you have to, instead of immediately knee-jerk reaction, you got to contextualize what's really happening here. This was never about Steven Adams or Eric Bledsoe. Even though I think there's a higher probability of Steven Adams staying than Eric Bledsoe, this is about getting into the top 10 and getting out of 51 and moving to 40, which I still don't think 40 stays either. I think they're going to move up and get Josh Christopher kind of like they did with Bain and Tillman last year. Yeah, I think that's a real possibility. I don't think they're going to buy out Bledsoe. Um, I don't think they have any incentive to do that. Um, if Bledsoe doesn't want to be in Memphis, that I mean, that's fine. That's his prerogative to believe that way. Um, I think he could be useful here. Um, a backcourt rotation off the bench of him and DeAnthony Melton provides a lot of defensive tenacity on the perimeter and would be really helpful. Um, I guess my question is, is, if Bledsoe doesn't want to be in Memphis, he, he, I'm sure he would like to go play on a title contender, but the Lakers don't need him. There's no really title contender that truly needs Eric Bledsoe. And so Memphis has no incentive to go buy him out so that he can just go join some random contender, which, again, I don't really think any contender is in a, a huge need of Eric Bledsoe. Um, he held Milwaukee back in the playoffs two years ago. It was very obvious. It was very apparent. He was not good as a starter in New Orleans this past year, and he could still have value, immense value, as a reserve guard somewhere in the league. But I hope he's not under the impression that teams are just batting down the hatches and knocking the door in to try to get him on their team. I don't think that's the case. But maybe John Hollinger, this is a trade proposal that he mentioned in his athletic piece from a couple of hours ago. Um, I, don't, I think you and I both agree that Memphis is not done yet making moves, whether that's not at all. from the draft or simply to gather other assets. Sacramento is looking to um, move off of Buddy Heald right now. Maybe you can take Eric Bledsoe's deal, which I believe – do you remember the exact number that he's owed for this coming year? I know he's no. got four, about $4 million guaranteed for 2022 and 2023, but you can package his contract together with John Conchar. So we talk a lot about roster consolidation and package Bledsoe and John Conchar together and see if you can take Buddy Heald off Sacramento's hands. Um, I think everybody will be speak everybody universally will be speaking highly about this trade if another move like that is to be made. But the point of the matter is you did what you set out to do. You put yourself right. in a better position to go and acquire a third star and Memphis, the Memphis front office has demonstrated itself to be aggressive over the last couple of years. Their aggressiveness to this degree does surprise me a little bit. Um, there was a part of me that thought, you know, we'll just stick with our brand of drafting good, solid rotation players, and we can do that at 17, or we can do that by moving up a couple of spots to get someone they really like. But they're looking at John Kaminga, Kaminga. They're looking at James Booknight. They're looking at Moses Moody. They're trying to get into not the top tier, but the second tier of prospects. 
to go and find a third star next to John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. And the proof of the pudding in this trade will be seen a couple of years down the line when the guy that they get with that top 10 pick, whether that's at 10 or a couple spots ahead, if they choose to move up further, um, that will be ultimately the defining factor of this trade. Were you able to find someone who is a long-term star caliber player to fit in the existing core that you have? I do have a word on book night though. Now don't people do not run with this and say, Oh, Bryce is just telling us what's going to happen. I'm just telling you what I was told. They're very high on book night and book night is very high on coming here, playing alongside job Moran. Obviously I think they're going to try and move up again and they would have to, to get book night here in Memphis from what I do know. But if there was a way to make it happen, both parties would be very happy. That's what I can tell you for certain. I don't, here's the thing. Um, and I don't want to go on the record saying this with absolute certainty, but this is what all the indications like seem to show. Um, I'm pretty sure OKC has promised book night at six. Um, you can just listen to the way he talks about OKC in interviews. And he seems like a guy who's received a promise of some kind. And OKC is obviously very high of him. They've interviewed him multiple times. They've worked him out multiple times. So all signs are indicating that OKC is going to pick him at six. OKC has also apparently been aggressive in trying to move up from six. Um, they supposedly, um, some sources said they offered number six and Shea Gilgis Alexander for Cade Cunningham. That deal would make me very uncomfortable for both sides. Um, a very ballsy maneuver, for lack of a better way to put it. But even if there might be some smoke to that, the idea that OKC is trying to move up appears to be very firmly rooted. I saw another report from an hour ago that said they've had conversations for swapping six and four with Toronto. So they are trying to move up. There's somebody in the top tier that they really like. And obviously, if that becomes the case and it becomes a reality, someone else will be picking at six and maybe book night falls to you if right. you get into the seven to 10 range. Um, I don't see the Grizzlies getting into the top six. So if OKC- I don't know. It, I don't know. I don't really foresee what deal anything can happen, of course, but I don't really foresee what deal that could be. I think seven will be the maximum spot where you move up. And if you move up to seven, you're going to get Moody. You're going to get somebody and like Book Knight or Moody who appear, if I had to guess, I'm not buying the Josh Giddy. It's the top the smoke prospect. Of the, yeah, I think it's a smoke screen it's as well. Smoke. So I think Moody and Book Knight are at the top of realistic targets at the moment. And if you move up to seven, you're going to get one of those two. Yeah, absolutely will. There may be even a reality where you can get a Kaminja, maybe. But they those are the three they really want. The Giddy thing, I'm not. I'm not rolling. I mean, if they get them, I'm just wrong. But I don't believe that for a second. Uh, I like Giddy. To be, to be perfectly um, honest with you, I don't believe it. Yeah, I, I don't think the Grizzlies will go home with Giddy on draft night. I like Giddy. Um, I, I've made the point on Twitter that I think his floor is a 6'9 Rubio, which is a really good NBA player, really good NBA player. And he's a 6'9 guy who's a fluid athlete, um, a great passer at his size, good athlete at his size. 
I think his shooting, the concerns about his shooting are a little bit overblown. He shot 31% from three on just under 100 attempts. You go and look at his highlights, he's hitting threes off the dribble. He's hitting threes at a pick and roll. He's not a non-shooter. The concerns are about how well will his shooting translate to the NBA. Um, it's 6'9". He's not a great defender, but just by his measurables, and his body, he will be solid on that end in the NBA. Like, he's an active off-ball defender, a high IQ off-ball defender. All of that to say, I would be perfectly – it would be my preference, but I could see the Grizzlies going home with it. Just calling it a night, going home with them at 10 and seeing how he fits as a small forward. In the and, and the thing is, like, all of that may be true, but at the end of the day, he'd be in high school over here. Like, they think – like, it's not like – you can't change what you are at 18 for two, three years down the line. So as much as people bring stuff like that up, we have to realize, like, this this guy isn't 24, 25 years old. He's 18. Like, he'd be a high schooler. He can improve right. literally the next year. Yeah. So let's just, like, like, not even think about potential deals to move up. It's book night your guy. Like, so let's say – Let's start from the top as far as far as realistic prospects are concerned. Um, John Kaminja, uh, James Booknight, uh, Moses Moody, Franz Wagner, and then Josh Giddy. Is Booknight at the top of that group for you? It's literally that you said my three in order. Like if we can get yeah. Booknight, let's let's roll with it. And then Moody and Kaminga, if if it pans out for those two, I'm perfectly fine with it. That's my three depending on whether they trade up or stay at 10. The other one's not really rolling with. Those are my three I'm locked in on. My thing with Book Knight, and he's pretty much addressed the shooting concern for me. Like, he only shot 29% from three at UConn this past year, but he was playing with a bad elbow. I believe he broke his elbow earlier in the season. And he was he did. Yeah, he was recovering from that, and that will obviously severely affect your shooting. And according to all reports, he's been killing it in pre-draft workouts as a shooter. That's not my concern. But when you compare him to a Moses Moody or a John Kamenja, um, he measures in at just under 6'4", about 6'3 and a half. Um, Part of me wants someone bigger next to John Morant when you consider what his weaknesses are, especially on the defensive end and how his frame is slight. Um, you might want somebody a bigger body who can affect the, and impact the game more on the defensive end than Book Knight can. And maybe Book Knight just turns into Jordan Clarkson, which I think would be a good median outcome for him, all things considered. A guy who'd come in and average 17, 18 points a game and just absolutely fill it up. Um, I would be fine with that. I think the Grizzlies have higher aspirations for who they're trying to get here. But you look at Moody, who is a hair under six foot seven and has about a seven foot wingspan. And defense is one of his best attributes, even as an 18-year-old at Arkansas. And he shot 38% from three. And there's so much value as a shot creator. I guess you could make the argument that Kaminja has the highest ceiling of the group just because of his body and physical tools. But Moody, in my opinion, combines the best of both worlds. And the fact that I think he has the highest floor of that group, but his ceiling is also star level if he gets right. Yeah, and if, if they stay at 10, I'm almost certain that's who it is because I know they're really high on them. I know, like, they love everything they hear about them. They love what they saw in the workouts. And, you know, Musselman is still 
I think he still have a house here. He's close with the people with the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it's already been you know, handshake. Look, if he's there at ten, we got him. We got you. Let's let's put butts in seats come this fall because Arkansas does still have a pretty prominent fan base in the area. So yeah, yeah, building that Arkansas connection can be good. The, the other factor, and this cannot be underestimated, is what other teams choose to do. We've already talked right. about OKC trying to move up. Golden State is another wild card in there. They have picked 7 and 13. And maybe, well, maybe Golden State would like the Utah pick and Grayson Allen to take 7 from them. Grayson Allen is a ready-made contributor, a floor spacer. They really need – they needed more shooting off Steph Curry – outside of Steph Curry this past year. And obviously they'll be getting a jump and boost from Klay Thompson coming back into the lineup but um what golden state chooses to do will obviously have a lot of ramifications and consequences most people think that they will not keep both of these picks they may not keep either of them because i don't think they do uh, do. to be honest and we're getting back to the memphis connection here uh james wiseman was treated badly (laughs) uh last year in golden state you pick a seven with your second pick you pick a 19 year old raw big man and the center position is one of the most difficult positions to adjust to in the NBA who played three games of college basketball and only one against a serious opponent in Oregon and it's like they expected him to come in and be an all NBA level contributor from day one and you see all the passive aggression from Steve Kerr and his teammates in the media from what they were talking about him and you've kind of seen them back up on that and be more positive about him here in the last month or two when they talked about him, but um, they already kind of showed the butt about it for lack of a better way to describe it. So all of that is to say, if they're so dead set on trying to compete around Steph, they're not picking, even if they keep one of these picks, they're not picking a 19 year old with it. They're just all right. They're not going to. Maybe Moses Moody can be very impactful from day one. I think he can be. I'd be very surprised if they took him. Um, so Kevin O'Connor just put out his latest mock draft for the Ringer, and he said, like, a lot of reports and a lot of executives are tying Josh Giddy to Golden State at seven. Let me be honest with you, that would be the biggest shock in the draft if Golden State took Josh Giddy at seven. Like it I would, hope they do. I hope they do. You know, know, like I would be perfectly fine with that because it means there's a very good possibility that Moses Moody is coming to Memphis at 10 if they don't move up, if that's the case. But when you consider like the issues they had with a 19-year-old last year and how much they really want to compete and contribute, because Steph is going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year. So they have to be good. They have to compete at a high level this year. They are not adding a 19-year-old to the mix. There's absolutely no way they're doing that. That's my thought process as well. But, you know, NBA is where amazing happens and where anything can happen. So we will have a lot of fireworks, I think, starting Wednesday night. I don't think this waits for Thursday afternoon. I think this starts Wednesday. I think the Grizzlies kind of kicked the door in, and now – we're going to start seeing some fireworks starting tomorrow night. I don't – you know, and I agree with that. I don't know how involved Memphis is going to be at it because if Memphis really wants Moody, maybe they play it by ear on draft night and see how it's going, like as it gets into pick six and seven. And, you know, 
I don't really know how conversations work among executives. Like, I don't know if executives make it pretty plainly clear, hey, this guy's at the top of our board and we're going to take him with this pick if he's available to us. So that way, like Kleiman knows, I need to trade up if I want to get this guy that's about to get picked or something. There does appear to be some level of transparency with that. Um, I don't think the Grizzlies move up from 23 to 21 to get Brandon Clark in 2019 if they thought he was going to be available at 23. Uh, right. I assume they had intel about that. So maybe on draft night, the Grizzlies pay it a little bit close to the chest and say, you know, let's just see how things progress. Let's see how it goes. If they want book night, they're going to make a deal before draft night. I, I think that's going to be the clear-cut objective because I do not see book night getting past seven. Um, I don't think he will. Uh, if they want Moses Moody, maybe, or even Franz Wagner, who um, would not be my pick. Um, I don't think that happens either. I don't think it happens, and there's some smoke there of how much the Grizzlies like him. Wagner is somebody who is going to be a good player in the NBA. I have zero doubt about that. Guys who are good at everything always succeed. But when you've given up what you have in Valanciunas, who was one of your best players last year, it's very clear you're going for the ultimate upside swing. You're going for the guy that you think has the highest ceiling here, and that's not Franz Wagner. It just isn't. And, and I think his upside is being underestimated a little bit because he's 19 years old, but I don't think he represents that. So I don't expect that to be the pick. But if they want Moody, if they want Giddy, um, maybe they just play it a little bit patiently at 10 and see how things play out before they're willing to get out there and offer the Utah pick or offer the 2022 first-round Lakers pick they just acquired. Maybe they play it a little bit patiently. Yeah, I think it depends on everybody else how active the Grizzlies are on Thursday night because, like I've said for weeks, the Josh Christopher thing is going to happen by hook or by crook. Mm. So if – if if there's intel that a somebody might want him around 30, some, they're going to trade up and try to get in around 30. If he's just going to slide all the way to 40, they'll sit tight and just. So it it all depends on how the how stuff falls Thursday night, and you know it could get interesting. It could be end up being a very boring draft. It just depends on what everybody else does. Yeah, and you mentioned Josh Christopher a couple of times. There, there is a lot of smoke to that. The Grizzlies have worked out Josh Christopher. Um, is he Tayshon's nephew? It's, it's something like that. Godson, something like that. There's like, some relation. There is a direct relationship between Tayshon right. Prince, who is obviously a member of the Grizzlies, and he is now um, – I guess the assistant chief executive, I don't know his exact title off the top of my head, assistant chief executive next to Kleiman in the Grizzlies front office. So um, with that in mind, I would take him over the field at this point for what the Grizzlies will do at 40. And like you said, I think they will be willing to show the aggressiveness that they already have over the last few years to move up into the 30s to get him. Um, I will tell you as an alternative, um, if the Grizzlies do stay at 40 and Christopher is not the pick, you know who I want them to get? Who? B.J. Boston. Okay. Nope. I, I, nope. Thought you, I thought you were about to play a trick on me and say one of those two names I told you no, never no, no, say. No, no, I'm definitely not Cameron Crutwig or Luke Garza, but I want to, you know, at this point, a guy who you pick in the second round is not going to be a contributor for you next year with the depth that they have, even if they consolidate somewhat. 
Um, whoever they pick around that range will spend most of their season in South Haven. I got a lot of reservations about B.J. Boston, how he really struggled on a really awful Kentucky team. But, hey, swing for the fences. You've earned the right to be able to swing for the fences at that point. Go get a 6'8 wing who was just compared to Brandon Ingram a year ago coming out of high school. Go swing for the fences and just see what happens with a pick like that. Well, Calipari's doing uh, as much PR as he can for B.J. Boston, which obviously as a former college athlete, it's always nice to see coaches tr at least try and do that because not every coach will do that for you. I can sp speak on that for, sh for certain. So for Calipari to speak so highly of him, even though he struggled, even though they kind of glued him to the bench toward the end, that means, in my opinion, that there is something in there, even though we didn't always see it at Kentucky. Yeah, for sure. And I think – he would be far from the only player to have underachieved under John Calipari at Kentucky before becoming a great NBA player. Right. Uh, this, this idea, Kentucky is a pro factory. There is no other way to describe it other than that. But um, to say that Calipari has not maximized the pro prospects that he's had would be an understatement to say the least, whether it's Bob Adebayo, um, Devin Booker, you just go down the list. There's a countless number of guys who have demonstrated skill sets in the NBA that they were not allowed to demonstrate at Kentucky. And B.J. Boston could be the latest in that mold. So we will see how that plays out. Uh, Bryce, I think we've covered just about everything that I wanted to as far as the draft is concerned. You got anything you want to add? No, nah, man, I got my piece off. I got the information that I know off. I mean, I'm just ready for Thursday so the hypotheticals can come to an end. We can really talk about something tangible, see where these young guys fit in with the vision, and let's see what the Grizzlies have planned for the actual offseason. For sure. All right, so why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff? You know what it is, man. You can follow me on Twitter at NXT Prodigy. Follow SPN Grizzlies for all my writing content. You know, Elite Media, we're here. We're talking about football here real soon. Follow, follow those guys. And yeah, man, let's have an exciting fall. We're 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 all hey, we're almost time for football season. We're almost time for the NBA off season. So yeah, yeah. What you got, Nate? You can follow me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. If you ever need random hatred of Luke Garza or Cameron uh, Cameron Crutwig, Bryce will be the person to provide it for you. But other than that, that's all, folks. <laughs>